Hi, this is Satish and this is Raghu. We are the inconceivable Desis who you've forgotten all about. No, it's we are like all other Desis. We are late. We are on Indian Standard Time. There he per and there nahi. Satish talking in Hindi is awesome, guys. I'm telling you, you never want to miss a moment of that. Come on, my accent has gotten better. That, that is okay. Sure, yes, yes, that thing. Why not? Why not? Let's make him happy. Yes. He might not want to record again. We have a hard time recording as it is. Oh my god! <laughs> the final days are here. Anyway, all right. So uh, we love reading books. We love gaming. Ergo, we love reading books about gaming. And uh, we ended up finding a really nice book about games from the past, and that is Masters of Doom. by david kushner that's right uh, ragu you you missed something you you forgot to say we are the inconceivable game lovers or some you know <laughs> i didn't come up with the tagline your, your traditional <laughs> yes you didn't come up with your traditional right, we tagline can, we can start you, from you, scratch you, no problem <laughs> no this is all staying in <laughs> yeah But that was a good book. I mean, uh, so it's it's all right. It's about it's about the people who made Doom, Eid Software, and uh, specifically about the dynamics of the whole group led by uh, 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 Romero and uh, I guess every developer's every developer's developer, uh, John Carmack. Yeah, that guy was brilliant, man. I mean, Romero is of course the guy who. Uh, I mean, from the book. kind of gives a lot of credit to him for coming up with like the the production quality i guess of of doom and all those uh, other titles that came from that really tiny studio but carmack i mean i am kind of jumping into the book but carmack is like the amount of technical stuff that one person has done you know the things that he has uh, invented and which have pushed um you know kind of video audio video visual technology to the state that it is today it's 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 pretty amazing so it was good to read a book about about his uh, his first rodeo as it were yeah so um i don't know how much background we need to give about these about the, this book and Let, the let's company give a, and the people why, why don't you give about. a small blurb so yeah so as ragu said it's about id software so uh, people might remember the name of the games that they've developed if not the company itself or the people who made these games so you know wolfenstein 3d back back from the 90s uh doom doom 2 ultimate doom quake and quake 2 quake 3 it it keeps on going but i'm sure that most people have if they've not played these games as kids they would have at least heard of these games in some way you know shape or form because you know at some point in every every kid's school life there was some point where you know people would have been talking about this crazy graphics thing they've seen on this game just as the computers started taking over our lives so uh so that's what the book deals with the book deals with how these people came together how they formed i guess almost like the ultimate gaming company in, in the sense of creating games and then how they made some of the most cutting edge 
uh, gaming technology for the PC. And they were there. They actually started developing way back from the 80s, you know, when, with the original Apple II and so on. And then how they sort of jumped onto the Windows bandwagon and how Microsoft gotten in it. And uh, it's a pretty crazy roller coaster of a story. Um, I mean, uh, I'm overstating things. Maybe you can call it almost like a traditional, like, you know, okay, they, they went up and then they came crashing down. And that sort right. of narrative to it. But uh, it, if you, if you look at sort of the nuances, it's a pretty, it's a very entertaining read because he doesn't, you know, the author doesn't just talk about, oh yeah, they made game one. They solve this, you know, he really gives them personality. He tries to give you a sense of where these people are coming, are, you know, sort of attacking this problem from, like, Carmack is, as Raghu said, he's a developer's developer. He's looking at it as a problem. How do I solve this? What is the engineering I need? And Romero is sort of the big sort of thinking from a designer perspective and large-scale visions and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, funnily enough, Wolfenstein 3D was actually my first PC game. I, I had played like those handheld Atari and Tandy games and stuff like that. But the first time mm-hmm. somebody sat me next to a PC and gave me a mouse and said, uh, your father and I have to talk about something. Why don't you do this here? It happened to be Wolfenstein 3D. And I was like completely struggling. I couldn't like use the mouse. And I was like, uh, I'm dying. But uh, but it was awesome. It was an awesome experience that I kept going back to again and again. And it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, in a sense, it's like, uh, you know, it's it's kind of nostalgic to go back and read about how these guys went about creating this game that was, and how they went about distributing the game, which is another fascinating part in the uh, part about the the whole roller coaster that you're talking about. Yeah, um, Wolfenstein 3D was also my first, uh, at least one of the first games I played. I played that, and there were some other DOS-based games I remember playing. Uh, but I remember spending uh, in school, you know, we had like a computer elective, computer science elective. And so, you know, at least once a month, people would not show up, I think, or something. But we used to spend at least once a month, a bunch of us who always hung out in the computer lab because we just those sorts of people right. would essentially be given free reign on the sort of higher end computers, which was at that point, I think we had one Pentium computer and and one three eight six and that was like the pinnacle of our computing evolution. For, to give context to people, these are computers that were released. I want to say more than twenty years ago. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you used to play games like Paratrooper and stuff. I remember that. Yeah, oh yes, Paratrooper. Uh, but uh, w- one fascinating thing about the book, I actually thought was uh, the kind of uh, distribution model that they had. They basically sent shareware. You know, uh, CDs, they basically, sh- not CDs, floppy disks. <laughs> this is really way back in the past. They sent around these floppy disks that people would use. And then, uh, if they liked it, they would, you know, send them money and they would send them more floppy disks. Yeah. So, uh, so they, so they actually, I mean, they were actually very experimental in that sense. So they started with subscription services through when they were all part of a bigger sort of magazine subscription thing called soft disk. Where essentially, you know, people paid ten bucks a month to get a bunch of games every other month or something on floppy disks, as Raghu said. And then when they started releasing their games, they started sending floppy disks, and they started experimenting with uh, sort of making the games available on the internet. Um, and again, shareware model. You know, you you you, you 
get for free like the first few levels and if you want to unlock the remaining you call up a number and pay to you know get the key to unlock everything else and so on um but actually uh it's funny they so they this was hugely successful them right so the reason it's successful is because there's no costs in terms of distribution and publishing and all that it's just development time and then the game is essentially distributed through almost word of mouth and just the cheapest means possible but by the time they hit i think quake or quake 2 that whole model fell apart because they did the same thing and people figured out how to crack the right. game and play all the levels for free yep. and so they actually did not i mean they still made a ton of money it's not as much as they made on something like doom right 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 um and i mean uh yeah i guess i guess that kind of model is just dead now right <laughs> there is just so much I I'm not feeling like nostalgic for that kind of model because it either involved knowing someone who had the crack codes and you know getting it to just work or uh, you know shelling out a lot of money and waiting for weeks before something came in the mail so it's not like I'm 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 upset about it but 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 the fact that uh, game developers could actually make like you said they made a, a ton of money even with this kind of distribution model i i don't even know how it it works in today's day and age with the you know constant micro payment like can you imagine playing wolfenstein 3d with that kind of model like you want to open this door pay 50 cents and now you can open this door i was going to say that shareware has essentially sort of morphed into this free to play but pay to level model where you know you get to play a certain number of minutes in a day for free and then if you want to level up quicker or you want to play more and that sort of thing then you pay um which is i believe right now it's the only viable model right that people don't want to pay for games people don't want to pay for anything forget i mean they never really wanted to pay but they <laughs> want to pay even less now yeah. um and i think really the games that are succeeding are the the games that are actually you know doing well are these games or there are game there are games with like you know s- uh smart ad strategies somehow so that yeah. you, know, you make a lot of money on on whatever display ads are able to show them I guess. Yeah, yeah 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 but otherwise yeah the story is um you know about a lot of uh was a lot of heartbreak a lot of uh uh small shop politics and how you know companies basically tear themselves apart <laughs> um yeah i mean uh, these guys uh, if if you consider the the set of skills that came together it's actually i mean not too many companies had this set of skills to come together like they had a great they had a brilliant programmer they had a brilliant level designer they had a brilliant artist um you know and uh, forget the fourth guy was either a biz de- was either a business guy or slash sort of you know a jack of all trades guy and i mean you you don't it's you don't really have that kind of um i'm i'm trying to think i mean in today's games how many how many people like how many developers do we know today from from games it's it's few and far between it's all we, all we remember are like publishing houses and then we get disappointed when the next assassin creed is exactly the same as the previous assassin's creed oh assassin's creed sales figures are slipping i don't think the next one is going to be the same 
but but yeah, I mean that's that's a very good point. I mean, so so indie indie game houses do exist. I mean, they're there. Not not a few of them, but a lot of them seem to be like, um, you know, geared towards, uh, you know, phone games, which are, which a true gamer would say they are bad. They are not even games. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, it's not like developers, game developers are like completely unknown. But they're, you know, nobody would write a book about. The developers who worked on Fallout Four, they would probably write a book about the guys who made Angry Birds. So, so like for example, the kid who wrote Flappy Bird, like, uh, you know, people know him. Uh, he's from Vietnam, but it was just such a great story about how the game made millions. A phone game making so much money, you know, kind of gives you an insight both into the fact that phone games are not. Like mobile games are not treated as real games; they're treated mm-hmm. as playthings. And and secondly, the the interest was always the fact that you know one person made a made you know a shit ton of money. It was it was hardly and it, it, there were just so many dynamics involved there that you know it's 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 very difficult to it's very difficult to point at one indie developer and say. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. So it's it's really, I guess it's somewhat like track record, right? Right. right. Like, um, like these guys essentially made for almost ten years. They were at the forefront of gaming. They were basically pushing the envelope. Like they were the ones who, uh, you know, Carmack was the one who figured out how to do smooth side scrolling on a PC the way you could do it on a Nintendo. Um, you know, and then. Romero figured out how to uh, create this gigantic world for Doom uh, to take advantage of a fast-paced first-person shooter, which was even beyond what you know it was. It was on par and almost going beyond what a console would do. And in fact, they they talk about how the first graphics card, you know, they sort of wrote it for uh, the sort of the OpenGL stack and that sort of thing, where people were blown away by the fact that they could see these for that for those for that day and age highly realistic graphics. Right. Um, so I think, I think that's, you know, it's almost like, uh, that, that track record is not really there in the, in, in the mobile space. Like we don't, like we know Angry Birds, but most people are tired of Angry Birds at this point. Uh, but you know, back then, I mean, I mean, even back then, forget back then, even today, I mean, I'm sure if you were to grab a bunch of guys and be like, let's set up a LAN and play, you know, quick, quick three deathmatch arena. People would still be up for it. Like that game is is super fast and super fun to play. Yeah, you mean like a bunch of thirty and forty year olds, right? When you say people, yep, basically, okay, right. obviously. <laughs> Wait, twenty year olds? They'll be like death match. <laughs> That's not really true, man. People play, people play the <laughs> play the heck out of Call of Duty. I had my like my thirteen year old cousin playing Call of Duty. Um, like capture the flag. I, I I'm like, say, dude, are you even like? Is this not? It's not even rated for you. You know this, right? He's like, yes, I do. Don't <laughs> tell my dad. I told his dad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think that's true. I think there are still some. Well, at least Reddit tells me that there are still some games which have like, you know, just a lot of multiplayer action happening. I. Oh no no no! I'm not saying multiplayer. I'm saying. Like specifically, 
the multiplayer for these games. I'm saying it. Oh. I'm fairly certain it would hold up if you were to gather up people and have them play it today. It wouldn't feel like ancient or something. No, that's true. Uh, Quake was Quake was I think Quake was so way ahead of its time. I mean that was, that game was <laughs> awesome. Uh, and I and you're right. Yeah, I, I don't think people are going to find it surprising or shocking or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we should mention so Wolfenstein 3D, which at the time pushed the envelope graphics and health packs and, and you know uh, survival in a Nazi Germany bunker. You can play it in your web browser today. Yeah, Wolfenstein on the web browser is. I was pretty surreal watching that happen. I'm like, what is happening here? That was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and then of course the other thing I found out recently is that Doom is making a come comeback on the consoles. Yep. So it's almost some kind of remake, I think. It's not a sequel to any of the Dooms that have come out so far. So it's essentially Doom reimagined for the twenty years later. Yeah, I'm I mean I'm sure that they're gonna draw a lot of lessons from uh, all this cutting edge stuff that's come uh, you know, from uh, with the latest consoles, so that should be that should be exciting to see where it yeah, goes. Yeah, I mean, there's some initial gameplay videos that are outside out, and it looks like they've essentially you know captured all the orig- you know all the excitement and the fast paced nature of the original because the original was really it was known for that. Right. Right? You don't, it's not like a, it's not like some kind of stealth mode game. You have a gun. Mm-hmm. You see a bunch of things and you blast them off the face of the mm-hmm, earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's appealing to your most primitive instinct as uh, you know as a gamer. Yeah, I mean the story was always um, how shall I put it thin. <laughs> well, it was very so. Yeah, one of the things that's very clear in the book is that the story was always sort of the last thing on their minds. Like it was always about technology yes. and then level design. And then okay, how do we put this all together? Oh yeah. Uh, the the marine went to Mars. Okay, that's a good story. Let's go with it. So I guess we should talk a little bit about the big elephant in the room with respect to id software and Doom and Quake and so on, which is that you know we all obviously got hugely disturbed by playing violent video games as little children um, to the extent that it could cause us to go off and pick up a gun and do crazy shit. Uh, like apparently what happened with um, some disturbed teenagers out in Columbine leading to the famous uh, incidents over there. And so, I mean, as gamers, I think our perspective is is somewhat biased. We're pretty much like, well, so your solution to preventing violent shootouts in schools is to ban video games not actually ban the guns or make it harder to get guns but let's go after the video games because that's the reason everyone goes nuts not it's it's not weird that 14 year olds managed to get hold of shotguns right but i mean i think the problem was that um uh or harris one of them uh or both of them maybe uh you know like created a lot of uh, levels for doom so they were like, you know, they, they mm-hmm. really love Doom. And, uh, I think the problem with this kind of weird cocktail of the open internet, easy access to games and easy access to, you know, kind of violent ideas was, you know, just, just something that, you know, happened at, you know, let, let to something really dramatic. And the book tries to tackle that. 
uh, but it tackles it from the perspective of how the uh, how the employees at each software had to deal with it, which you know I can't even imagine what they were going through. Imagine you know walking to your family reunion or whatever and like oh I work for each software you guys made doom you you are the cause of all of this. Plus for politicians I mean it was like it was like it was like you know political this thing right political victory. Was it was it was it Al Gore's wife? Was it like Tipper Gore who went around uh you know kind of panning just panning the games I mean, and stuff like that? They uh, a bunch of them all basically jumped in on it. There was Lieberman, there was McCain, Clinton weighed in at some point. Like they all, it, it's an easy hook to hang right, your hat right, on right, and basically right. blame. Um, and I think I mean the author just sort of I mean they they he he does a fairly decent job and he doesn't necessarily go totally pro one way or the other he tries to be sort of objective and say look here's what the research he has some overview of her research and you know this is the this is where these people were coming from you know these are not crazy politicians they had these agendas they had this this information to back them up but he does very subtly sort of stress the point that you know the link mm-hmm. is tenuous at best and everyone seems to have skirted over the bigger issue here uh which is the reason that we still see this problem in america today more than 20 years later which is gun violence the number one way to stop gun violence yeah. is make it harder to get guns you can you can trim the fat all you want on all these ancillary causes so to speak but you're really not addressing the issue you're you you know you're pretending like that issue does not exist and you're trying to address all of these sort of tenuously linked um, uh, symptoms. No, that's fair. fair. I mean, game ratings go a long way, I guess. Because again, yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of the interesting thing, right? We are like the first generation of people who are having kids uh, where where the parents were so immersed in modern day technology. You know, things we take for granted, like a cell phone or or a video game were just, you know, we were the first generation to like really spend time, you know, uh, being exposed mm-hmm. to uh, uh, these devices, and it's 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 fascinating how little the research has progressed uh, with with doing anything. Yeah, I I work with like I when I work with my my son's teachers, they basically are still you know kind of stuck in the seventies where oh my god exposure to like computers is a bad thing, and I'm like what are you talking about. <laughs> I mean, there. I mean, you take the I guess what is it? The AAP, the American Association of Pedi- Pediatricians, or whatever. Until recently, they said if you show the kid any screen right. before age two, you've essentially right, ruined right, right, their right, brain right. development or some some crazy shit like that. And then recently, there were studies which showed that that's not true. Yeah. Right? You know, if you were to actually, the kid is actually engaging and the kid is actually doing stuff, and not just you're not just putting them in front of a screen and make them watch, right? The AP was not differentiating right, on what right. you use to, how you're exposing the kid. They were just saying any exposure, right? Which is this just sort of hammer and nail idea, which is, okay, I'm, I have a hammer and everything is a nail. Yes. But yeah. that's not so, true. Like you can do activities, you can build, like some of these things are actually pretty beneficial for kids if you use it correctly. It's a tool. Everything, all of these things are tools. I mean, any any device, any piece of technology can be considered to, you know, cause major problems, but 
most of the time that's just it's right, just correlation right, right. it's not causation and i think there was the same problem with columbine as well they they basically correlated their activities and how they got onto these hate groups websites with with doom and but they never yep. really tied it back there was something that was sad yeah so i guess um, the last um, or rather the latest development for doom so doom is still <laughs> under development for you <laughs> um is that John Romero actually released uh, a set of levels that he had created for Doom way back which never got released with the main game and so that was released very recently i want to say a few weeks ago a brand new set of levels for Doom and uh, so he created what is called the where's my data file that you load into Doom and and you can go nuts which <laughs> obviously Raghu and i have not played at all because we don't play old games well of course Of course, I mean, it's really difficult to convince myself to play Doom when I can play Fallout. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm trying to imagine the series of steps that is required for me to run Doom. I think you can play Doom in the browser, but I don't know if you can run any of those WAD files. Nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, but uh, you know, speaking of those WAD files, I mean, one of the big things that. Carmack pushed and I think they did for a very long time was make all of these things easily hackable and open and and so on against better judgment from not better judgment but sort of against Yeah I mean common sense business people. practice would be that you don't want to open up anything to your customers and you want to like you know nickel and dime them yeah. all the way yeah. and basically isn't that what's happening with all these uh pay to play kind of apps I mean all the Yep, micro basically. Uh, payments basically. are basically that there you're nickel and diming the uh um, the customers yeah we should we should probably know we should probably clarify this a little bit so essentially when the games were released uh these guys were coming from this more sort of hacker culture of the 80s where you basically pull things apart to see how they work and so you know very quickly those early gamers pulled um wolf 3d wolfenstein 3d and and the early prototypes of doom and so on pulled those apart and modded them and id software instead of making harder for you for them to do this by like locking down the game and all that they actually made it more and more modular which is why more than 20 years ago romero can say hey here's a new level pack for doom because it was as simple as just replacing a file and then the game would just load up the new file and just you can go nuts yeah i think that's so, that's one of the i think that's one of the coolest things that's ever come to towards gaming because like every game that i have played on the pc has had that ability you just mod it and you create this yep amazing experience because you know when people are fighting against a deadline developers only can do this much even if they have many brilliant ideas and then they go to the next deadline there are so many users who have this free time and and, and leverage it I mean, Skyrim, Fallout, like all of these games today, carry that kind of torch, uh, you know, forward. And it's, it's. I think, I think without Doom, I don't, I don't, or without the Steam, I don't think we would have had. No, I, yeah, I, I don't think so. But I mean, uh, Ira, you have to remember, uh, as always, you have the flip side of the coin. We had uh, Rockstar and the GTA series where they. So you have GTA 5 which is the latest uh, Grand Theft Auto game where you can basically mod the player to become a monkey who can fly and shoot cars out of his hand you can do crazy shit essentially um but at the same time uh, I want to say it's about 10 years now but 10 years ago 
somebody managed to mod the game to open up code that was left in by the developers that essentially allowed you to simulate having <laughs> sex in the game which was a pretty controversial <laughs> whiff for the time people are like what you did what and they're like yeah we we didn't think anyone could unlock it no it's illegal you should not be allowing people to have sex in your game and yeah it's the same story as, as as earlier we'll we'll pick the wrong messenger well, and try our best to kill it so that's you know that's exactly how the world is always going to be have no. you ever played the hot coffee mod <laughs> that was a quick no <laughs> it was <laughs> Debating how much I want to make myself <laughs> liable for you. What the, what's that? Never heard of that. <laughs> we leave people to Google what the hot coffee mod in Grand Theft Auto is. All right. So, and of course, I mean, uh, the technology is, like I said, I mean, Carmack is just just this brilliant person, and right now, the kind of cool stuff that he's doing with Oculus Rift uh, for Facebook is kind of pushing the boundaries of virtual reality and soon i hope augmented reality uh you know further further yeah. and i'm i'm totally excited about where he takes us next i'm i'm literally like i'm i know like uh uh games are probably what he'll start with for the vr world because they are the what's the word they're the money spinners right but i'm mm-hmm. really hoping that uh the kind of work he does and the kind of things he starts making will push uh oculus rift and like augmented reality so like you're walking through like a i don't know a, sh- a Walgreens or a shopping you know some some shopping complex uh, mall or some strip mall or something mm-hmm. and you get cues on your augmented reality thing it tells you like where the coupons are where you can pick up stuff you know, cool things like that i'm i'm really excited about that yeah that was a pretty big uh, move for him uh he 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 finally i think it was only a couple of years ago right that he finally left id and joined oculus right. as their cto and if you actually if you if you read the book that's sort of you know it, from very early in the development of of doom that was really what he wanted to do he wanted to build that virtual world immersive experience right. that you know it, it and that was actually if you if you uh, I just remembered this, but when he talks about uh, Carmack's childhood, like he he essentially had this Dungeons and Dragons game that he had been playing since he was a little boy. It was the same world. It was you know it, he had essentially created a Dungeons and Dragons world that he had been running, so to speak, for almost ten years. So right. Every time people would play the game, they would essentially sort of encounter this you know effects of what they did previously. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's sort of a tangent, but, uh, this, this VR idea is something that's been on his mind for a very long time. Yeah. And then, uh, I guess just to go to the other, so, so, I mean, the major founders were obviously Carmack and so Romero, uh, very famously was ousted from aid after I think the release of Quake. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's released stuff after that, but but Carmack has sort of retained his aura, and Romero's lost a little bit of his sheen because his games have lacked that technological push. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but he's you know he's he's still kind of working. He's still making shooters, so no, he's done he's done a bunch of games. Uh, just you know, if you sort of go through the like that. So after Quake, if you look at their respective careers, like. 
Carmack has sort of retained the level of, you know, yeah. uh, aura, the, the aura from, from back then, whereas Romero, at least, I mean, I don't know how, I'm guessing that in game conventions, he's still greeted as the gamer's gamer, but from the perspective of a career, it's not, he's not really had like some crazy mega success like Quake 2. Yeah, but Carmack is like crazy, man. I mean, he co-founded yeah, like an yeah. aerospace company and shit. That's true. <laughs> that guy's really out there, you know what I mean? All right, so what do you think, Sadish? What, what's your rating of the book? See, the gamer in me would just say 5 out of 5, but I'd have to say 4 out of 5 uh, because it can get a little bit uh, too... Uh, like, it starts off very objective, and then at some point it just becomes this gigantic political mishmash, which is somewhat interesting, but not totally germane to what I was looking for. So, 4 out of 5, great read, though. Especially if you remember any of these games. It's quite mind-blowing, right. the stuff they had to do. Right, 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 right. What about you? Yeah, I think I'll go 4 and 5. Uh, mostly because I... I um, uh, it, the book felt sketchy and sometimes, you know, that didn't seem to... You know, seem to put, you know, words into mm. people's mouths. Uh, right. That was right. not, you know, not necessarily kind of fun. And, uh, uh, yeah, the way, the way I, yeah, it was kind of weird, but sometimes the way that it described the developers was always like, oh my God, look at these freaks doing all these things. And I'm like, why would <laughs> I, I, I wish I could, you know, they are, there's this committed technologists who are working nine to five. So I, that's why I think four and five, uh, the four is for basically for the fact that, uh, I thought it was pretty well written, uh, otherwise. Thus speaketh the developer among us. Ha ha ha. I I code in Excel. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means.